The first cell phone was demonstrated in 1973 by Martin Cooper. You know what wasn't demonstrated? Shared plans. Over 50 years later, you can save on one line thanks to Visible. When you switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible, you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees. No, really. You can look around for them. They're not there. Switch now at Visible.com. Save on wireless without the hassle. Switch to Visible today and save at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms. Visit Visible.com. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to Beyond Episode 582, brought to you by IGNPR. My name is Jonathan Dormer. I'm your host. <laughs> wow. This week, joined by Lucy O'Brien. Is this like your like bedroom voice? No, is this, this, is, this a is a new my thing. NPR huh? voice. I'm also joined by Brian Altano. Ah, uh, brap brap. Thanks for having me. And Max Scoville. Man, they turn the cameras off. This turns into some real ASMR stuff very quickly. The audience wanted it, so I'm happy to deliver. Right. Uh, Lucy, we- if that were my bedroom voice, I would be single for the rest of my life. Yeah, I, so, was, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to say anything because I didn't want to be rude. But. No, I appreciate that. Uh, for those who are wondering what we're doing here, this is Beyond IGN's weekly PlayStation podcast. Uh, if you are just learning, welcome. We are now an audio-only show. So you can get us on all your usual audio platforms that you may have been listening to us before. iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, uh, Google Play, Google Podcasts, whatever they use now. Zune. Zune. Yeah. Is also, yeah, if you watch Guardians. Real Galaxy. Player, SoundCloud. <laughs> Just any wave player that you have. QuickTime. Yeah. Ooh, yeah, you can listen to us on QuickTime. Winamp, Winamp, Winamp. It really whips the llama's ass. Ooh. Uh, of course, you can listen to us there. We're also going to be on YouTube uh, in audio form, so mm-hmm. you'll see a static image for now and also get the audio show. We keep calling this an audio-exclusive show. I think we, or, or audio only. We, I think this, we need to call it like ear-exclusive ear or ear something exclusive. like that. Ear-exclusive, yeah. Yeah, we have to really, let's do some good. Oral-exclusive. Yeah, raise the roof on this one a little Perfect. bit. Perfect, you know? yeah. Uh, and for those wondering, we are, of course, a weekly PlayStation show. Uh, we record Tuesday. So if we miss any news on Wednesday morning, sorry, we'll cover that. In the or Thursday or Friday. Or Thursday or Friday. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to it uh, going forward. Since we're going into a new audio format, I thought we could start with a new segment that I'd like to honor in memory of Andrew Goldfarb, our long forgotten executive news editor. Rest That's in peace. Right. Yeah, sad, sad to see him go. Uh, we're going to call this News Crunch. Crunch. <laughs> okay, brought so to that, you by, did you guys record that? Well, so the first yeah. half was a, either like a 1920s orphan child or Andrew Goldfarb on his last day. Hard to tell. And the second part was me doing an impersonation of him eating an apple on his show once. I think you should have sampled the apple crunching noise. Yeah, so uh, Ronnie Barrier, our video producer of the show, he uh, made that for us. I'll ask him to get that actual audio file. The uh, uh, the inventor of the apple crunching noise actually is like really strict about that stuff. Oh, you mean Tim Apple? Yes, yeah. <laughs> Captain Crunch himself. <laughs> uh, on News Crunch, we'll break down for you the biggest news of the last week that we may have missed on the last week's episode. Uh, one of the big things this broke on Friday-ish afternoon, Days Gone has finally gone gold. Uh, so that essentially means they can ship the game off to be ship- made onto discs. Mm-hmm. They can produce it and can get out to us, and they can start working on presumably the day one patch. Yeah, uh, Sony Ben tweeted out a studio uh, picture of their studio on what looked to be at one point the front lawn of their studio, which is now covered in four feet of snow. Um, which I can kind of understand why they finished that game a little early because there's nothing else to do. They're just mm-hmm. indoors, and I think yeah. they can't leave. That's why so. I think every studio should be in Edmonton. <laughs> like Bioware, like it just is. There's nothing. Have you ever, have you guys ever been? No, I've there's never been. nothing to do there. Mm-hmm. It's like a mall where there was a roller coaster accident, and that's like the thing to do in Edmonton. The roller coaster accident. Like check out, like check out this <laughs> this side of this deadly roller coaster. Good, that's Lord. horrible. I mean, of course I did that. So Bend is a lot more beautiful, but right now it's buried in snow, so it looks like it was uh, a good time for them because they this game went gold earlier than most games go gold. Yeah, it's almost two months mm-hmm. out from le- release. It comes out April twenty sixth, uh, mm-hmm. and as we had on the last week's show, John Ryan just saw five hours of gameplay, so yeah. obviously it's shaping up pretty well. Uh, we've talked about gone going gold 
on the show a little bit before, especially when Spider-Man was announced as going gold. How do we all feel about that term? Because we've actually we don't report on it any much anymore much on IGN because it's mm-hmm. so like a games get day one patches now or in the case of anthem it gets a negative two day patch we yeah. were we were talking about this a whole lot and how like there's this you know there there still is that group of people who like to have a physical copy of a game on their shelf for like for, yep. you know collector's sake or whatever but yeah you do get those day one patches and the game that is frequently on the disc is a very different product from what you actually wind up playing uh i mean if you popped i think if you popped some of the biggest games of the past five years into your system and started them up not connected to the internet you would get you get a strange, you know, strange thing there, you know? I mean, they so revamped The Witcher 3. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it's control scheme. Like, if you were playing that offline, you would have a totally different game. You'd have, like, a different would. menu system. I yeah. mean, Max, you and I were talking about Bloodborne, because we were always talking about Bloodborne. But the, uh, the there was a running joke around that game that when you die... Uh, at the launch of that game, you had enough time to do like a, a set of like a three minute jog or some push ups or something like that, just to sort of relieve the stress of getting killed constantly. But they patched the game a lot and fixed the load times and made it much more streamlined. Now it's not even a thing I think about. And, I you actually know, forgot that that game came out with those load times. Yeah, they were that horrible. That was in our original criticism of yep. the game. And it was just the logo that said uh-huh. Bloodborne and you just stared at it. I wonder about it, how much of that also is that we're older now, so our perception of time occurs faster that's definitely yeah. possible yeah. like I've when i was about that a lot. yeah when i was whatever like 29 when bloodborne came out or whatever like that was you know that three minutes seemed like a long time <laughs> yeah. I've, I've moved on a lot i'm getting old you've matured yeah impressive uh yeah obviously we won't have to wait too long to play days gone now thankfully uh jr's preview had me really excited for seeing that game like fully in action seeing what the full adventure of it plays out like mm-hmm. so i'm excited we only have seven-ish weeks to wait for that. Uh, Moving on, though, if you want to play your PlayStation 4 games that you currently can play on your phone, you now can do that. Uh, PS4's Remote Play is now available on iOS devices, uh, and there is a limited app on Sony Xperia phones. It's not available on Android phones right now, but you can... Have you tried it? I have not. I was really pissed I couldn't get this to work. Oh, really? Um, Yeah, I I downloaded the app, and I tried to sync it and everything. And just for the novelty of it, it's called the... Remote Play app? Yeah, it's called the Remote Play app, and it's a very... It's not the PS4 second screen app, is it? No, No. it's different. It's like a sort of a new thing, and it's... um, They have like seven apps. Yeah, it's very bare bones right now. It just says start and connect, and it gives you like Mm -hmm. an eight-digit or seven-digit pin code that you put in. Um, And it just wouldn't connect for me, which is uh, kind of a bummer. I, I was thinking about like the practical uses of it, and... I don't think I would play video games with it, but it would be cool to sort of like buy a game, download it, realize I don't have enough room on my PS4, <laughs> and then do, do storage management from my phone. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of interesting. I mean, just the idea you, of like poking around inside the OS of your console when it's at home. That's the only practical thing I can like. You, yeah, I, can I think uploading, think uploading saves to a cloud would be really handy. Yeah, oh, just yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Saves, save management and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, yeah, your phone does everything else. Yeah, we I, were, do, I do want to see, like, a speed run of somebody playing a really hard video game. Yeah, so using, I'm doing Bloodborne yeah. on their iPhone. Yeah, yeah. I'll try to play some Bloodborne next week if you want to do that. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah. We, um, yeah, so it's all touch controls. We were talking about this when they announced it. For me, it feels like it makes sense for the kids who are already playing Fortnite on their phones at mm-hmm. school or whatever. Like, they just now, if they want to do it through their PSN profile, they can do it that way. Or they can even play Apex Legends now. Will you be great at Apex Legends? Probably not. <laughs> but you can still play it at school yep. during lunch if you want. That seems like the most obvious. I mean, you could probably play, like, turn-based stuff pretty easily. Yeah. yeah. I could finally finish Persona 5. So I, when <laughs> this feature first launched on uh, Mac and PC a few years ago, I played a round of Battlefront in New Jersey on my MacBook Pro. And it was like a slideshow, but it was still like fun that I could even get in there. Totally. Because mm-hmm. I was sort of, I, I was like, I'm windowing into my PS4 in California <laughs> from the opposite side of the country. And that was kind of cool. But um, it's not really there yet. But yeah, for very simple things and tasks like that, that's, I think it's a good, it's a good look. Yeah. And there are already games like obviously something less pressure filled like The Witness on PlayStation yeah. Plus this month. Like that's already yeah. ported to iPhones and everything. So you could probably pretty easily mm-hmm. play that what if you had a like a, a controller does it so it works with third-party controllers you okay. can't connect a dual shock to it right but if you had one of those like button. weird clamshell phone controllers i think some of those there are some like third-party playstation 4 controllers that like via bluetooth will connect to your phone Good and Lord. work with it so it's so weird yeah it's, that could be awesome yeah. yeah like that i can see a lot of practical applications especially if you travel a lot you don't need to look around your ps4 yeah or if they finally roll out like 5g and suddenly the phone internet is super fast yes yeah future arrives <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, it's a. I think it's more of a beta thing to me in my mind right now, especially with we're seeing Microsoft uh, expand their streaming platform so much with Project X Cloud. Yep. And seeing all these companies just try to be on as many platforms as possible, this feels more like future proofing than. PS4 games on your phone, that's what you really want to do right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I'm curious to see how that evolves and how remote play evolves, especially with a new gen coming. Uh, To wrap up News Crunch, though, we, just before recording the show, uh, figured we should mention Gearbox teased essentially a Borderlands 3 announcement at PAX East. They have a big show, a main stage show, March 28th. They were teasing never-before-seen reveals, and they've been talking about Borderlands 3 in some form or another for years now. And the teaser image they used, it's a highway sign. It says March 28th, Boston, Massachusetts. It's clearly in the Borderlands art style, like the cel-shaded art style. There's a border on the image. There's a border, and it's in a land, and it says Exit 3 on it. So the presumption is we can finally stop saying Borderlands 3 is going to be announced soon. Are you sure that's what it's teasing? No, it might be. It might be aliens. It might be pre-sequel reanimated or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, yeah, it's obviously Borderlands 3. Is anyone here a Borderlands fan or excited for this? I'm excited for it. Like, I'm not a massive fan, uh, but I'm looking forward to jumping back into that universe. And I also think that Gearbox really needs some good PR right now. What? And I think that it's the right time for this announcement. Mm -hmm. I think Medieval Times needs some good PR right now. (laughs) Do you think Medieval Times gets all their PR through Twitter? Through through that Gearbox store? Yeah, through that (laughs) Gearbox. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Obviously, we'll have people going to PAX. Yeah, I'll be there. Yeah, you're going. I'm I'm curious. I'm not excited. Borderlands has never clicked for me, and I've tried numerous times to make it click, and it's sort of like it's just – I don't know what it is exactly, but I'm I'm incredibly curious to see what Borderlands 3 brings to the table because we're at that point where like so many companies are sort of like aping what Borderlands did, the sort of yep. the co-op looter shooter, the shared world shooter. Uh, we've got Destiny, we've got Anthem, we've got The Division floating around. Like what is, what are they going to bring to the table that's going to set them apart from that aside from, you know, yeah, a sense I'm, of humor? I'm with Max in that I'm not necessarily excited for the franchise because it's never historically been my favorite, although I did play a bunch of it. Um, I don't know if it really connected with it with me. Like it, I, I watched other people around me just get hooked on it. Um, but I'm more fascinated in, in like what happens to a video game franchise that is dormant for a decade and then returns, uh, especially – knowing what's happened to that studio up and down left and right for the last 10 years. Um, yeah, I'm fascinated to see how it looks, how it plays, what's new, what's different. If they're even going to attempt to compete with the modernized looter shooters or just like stick to classic Borderlands stuff. Uh, yeah, that's all that fa- is fascinating to me as somebody yeah. who loves the industry. We're in such a totally different landscape than when Borderlands 2 originally released and just the proliferation of Battle Royale games alone in the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, will they try to lean into that? Is it just going to be four people playing together still in the same yeah. world? Like, mm. Who knows how they'll lean into it? Yeah, I've, I've talked about this on the show before, but there's so many things in the video game industry uh, that you at one point thought would just be mainstays forever that just disappeared. You know, yeah. like if if they if Valve said, hey, we have Left 4 Dead 3.54 or whatever it is coming tomorrow, I'd be just as interested because so much has changed since that happened. And it was also at one point a known quantity and something that you would think we would get a sequel every two years and then it just stopped. So, yeah, we'll see. I think there's also that, that effect where something becomes so imitated that everyone gets sort of sick of it. But then when the sort of original returns, uh, it's, it's nice to see, like, I think doom and mortal Kombat are perfect examples of that, where like the most recent versions of those games have been so sort of true to the original. while like, like shaking the formula up just enough that they feel modern, but like, you know, really defining what that experience is. Yep. Uh, and like with borderlands, like, I don't know, like, are they going to take, are they going to do a battle royale? Are they going to do a shared world shooter? Are they going to do a hero shooter? Because, like, how long has this game been in development? How many iterations has it gone through? Uh, I mean, is this going to be like – what if it comes out and it's like an Overwatch clone? Yeah, I mean, they, <laughs> they did Battleborn, so yeah. maybe yeah. the hoping – Did they learn their lesson or no? We'll find out on March 28th. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, especially with 2K. They have this and Bioshock along those lines of, like, long dormant franchises that at least the IGN audience I know, like, consistently asks. And anytime there's a, like, morsel of information, they're like, oh, my God, I need to know yep. what's happening with these franchises. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we'll be curious to see if this actually happens and we actually see this game being real. Uh, that has been our first news crunch. Thank you all for joining us. I'm having too much fun with this soundboard. (laughs) 
Anyway, moving on. Uh, that, that kid is so weird. He's like a weird. Yeah, so we. I don't know where that. They kid's all from. had that same voice back then. Yeah, like old timey kids. I think if they if their voices got too deep, they immediately had to become adults. Yeah. It was like a law. That's how it worked. So yeah. you could say a child Put forever. to work. It's like Peter Pan laws. They were in black and white anyway, so they didn't have the difference. <laughs> uh, moving on, I want to talk a little bit about what we're playing this week. Uh, I myself have not been playing a ton. I've been more like getting into some comic books, board games, so I want to hear from you guys what you've been playing the most. Uh, um, I'm just going to give a little shout out to a game I played a couple of weeks ago, but I was in, um, under embargo for a while. Uh, the Sinking City. Uh, yes, yeah. which is that uh, Lovecraftian detective game. Um, it looks cool. I don't know if you guys have seen any of the trailers. I've been keeping an eye on that, actually. It looks yeah, really interesting. I, I played a couple of hours. Uh, the devs came in and and showed me it. And, uh, yeah, it's it's I I love the, Lovecra- like the Lovecraftian worlds. Like, I love the moodiness of the, those kind of, like, seaside areas with grizzled fishermen and, like, old bars with old men singing and... You know, everyone's grumpy and going insane. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's it's a really cool world. And and although the game didn't really shake up the formula too much, like I've seen, it it does the whole, uh, you know, the kind of rewind mechanic that you've seen in a lot of other games when piecing together a crime scene. Like, oh, I can actually see what's going on. Right, I've right. got, like, mm. foresight or I think this is called recognition. Um but it's cool, it, it, and I love the world. It was very cohesive. Uh, I liked the enemies a lot. Like they they sort of present the enemies in kind of like broad daylight. So the enemies are like twisted monsters and stuff, like figments of the detective's imagination as he goes slowly insane. Uh, but the, you know they're they're just sort of there, and it kind of reminded me of Silent Hill. Yeah, you know when you're just walking down a street in Silent Hill, and it's just like oh, there's like this completely twisted like mannequin thing walking towards me in broad daylight. <laughs> it's it's that kind of uncanny thing that was introduced in Night of the Living Dead when you first see that zombie like shambling down the yep. grassy knoll in broad uh, daylight. It's really weird. That's like my favorite kind of horror. Yeah, where it's almost like this is this is a normal. It's like looking at security camera footage. Exactly. Where it's creepy because it's so sort of front and center, not because of you know something jumping out or something being obscured. Mm, it's why Mister X was so scary in Resident Evil Two. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just I just wanted to acknowledge it. Like I it, I only played a couple of hours, and it's it's coming out in June sometime. Um, look at my preview to get the exact date, and I don't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was cool, uh, and I I, I kind of like that these like. You know, sort of middle of the range games are still being made by some studios. Yeah, yeah, there's room for that, and it's not. There's no expectation for it to be a billion seller or anything like that. Exactly. It doesn't have to be a AAA franchise, but there's room for that level of creativity. Yeah, I feel like the bottom fell out of that type of game for a while, and we're seeing it come coming back. So. Yeah, with THQ and Midway and yeah. all those sorts of companies going exactly away. Yeah, it's nice to see that uh, Sinking City, by the way, comes out June 27th. Thank so, you. Yes. Anytime. We can now look things up and we don't have to pause on a video show to Sweet. do that. Sweet. Uh, Brian and Max, what about you guys? What have you been playing? We've been doing some other sort of, you know, Arkham Horror, Lovecraftian nonsense in mm-hmm. a little game called Bloodborne. Yep. Uh, Never heard of this one. Yeah. So you guys talked about this last week, right? Yes. Yeah. This game from 2015. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems to be sweeping like all of the conversation. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, Kotaku's Jason Trier. Yeah. Been talking up a big storm about it too. Because he's been he's playing. <clears throat> are you playing it for the first time, Max? I am still playing it for the first time. Right. Because I'm. <laughs> it, I realize something about Bloodborne is that it is a game. I mean, the FromSoft games in general are games for people who are good at games and people who have time to play games. And I am fucking neither of these things um but for whatever reason i've been traveling a ton this year and i i think like a bunch of games missed me like i we didn't we didn't get copies of uh devil may cry i wasn't sure if i would like it or not so i didn't you know throw money at it uh resident evil i want to check out but like as far as like the kind of big experience of the year i pretty much noped out of anthem i screwed around in far cry but i was just like i need something juicier and i've played all the yakuza games that are currently available on my current system so (laughs) there's so much for that but um Bloodborne, it does this amazing thing where I will play it for a while, get frustrated or sick of it, and then I'll just sort of it'll sit in the back of my head and I'll kind of think about it and I'll want to go back to it. And like it has fully, fully gotten its hooks into me at this point. Mm-hmm. Um I'm again, I suck at this game. I'm attempting to get good. And it's infuriating when I'm I'm like, I'm enjoying this game, and people are like just I don't know, condescending about it, because I'm like, I don't know what you want. Like 
fucking get married buy a house fuckers pieces of shit um, I'm so bad at the game I am just in the forbidden forest right now or the forbidden woods or whatever I've encountered the fucking the snake men and, oh uh, I hate the snake men they, they suck yeah they, they really ass. suck um, but I mean I love this game because like I'll encounter something and I, it's it's honestly it's made me sort of almost unpack a lot of what I enjoy about games because mm-hmm. I saw this like this argument online about uh, games yes without question games should be difficult and there's a part of me that's like I don't I don't completely agree with that all the time I think that need, they need to have resistance of some kind like mm-hmm. you've got to have like a challenge but the challenge of Bloodborne that I don't like I don't I mean I, honestly the combat is what keeps me kind of like pushing against it because that's obviously what it's when a ghost comes out behind a shed and kicks my ass yeah that's a man uh-huh. It's a man, the bag, the bag man. I don't think there is any like, like phantoms of the macabre in that. There's all kinds of macabre. I don't. Isn't that what that is? You can't tell me that a dude in a bathrobe with a with a sack is not a ghost. Yeah. So I've I don't know if they're ghosts. They're phantasms. No, it's a man. Something. It's a creature man. Can it be a corporeal ghost? I don't think they're like they're translucent silhouette. Of of the deceased. Why, why are you normalizing what a ghost has to look? That's <laughs> whatever. I okay, mean, look. It's a, a ghost doesn't necessarily have to be Casper. Whatever like, this thing is, I think they have to be dead. There's there's so many things that some of them I'm like clearly the, right? dead. Like clearly that's a werewolf with a part of a loom who's going to kill me with it. He's doesn't mean like he's a, a dead. He's ghost. got a lumberjack <laughs> saw and he's going to hit me over the head with it. But like I mean I'm like that's a you know some of them I'm like that's a that's a werewolf that's a a man. But there's ones where I'm like that's like a ghost sort of. But it's like a, you know, it's like a Haunted Hill ghost. My favorite like, A24 movie. A, a ghost, ghost sort of. of. Yeah. But I think it's so funny. I, I was thinking about this where some of these enemies, you're like, ah, oh, this this thing's going to do something supernatural and surreal. And then it just kicks you in the face. Mm-hmm. And just, yeah. And it's just, it's just like really like aggressively violent. It's not yeah. like like fluid and graceful and weird. It's like. No, that's not, I mean, like that's I think. your ass. What's the kind of the scariest stuff about that game is sort of how how blunt it is, mm-hmm. I, I would say, is the word. It's, just, it's like, horrifying. It is about it is about smacking, you know, these disgusting wet wolf people with like heavy objects and, bl- and bludgeoning them and and beating them. Like they, you know, people come up and they they slash at you and they hit you with w- big wooden shovels and shields and uh, like I'm replaying it now too, and I I think that now I'm starting to realize this is not just something that like. I play because I love it. I play this game on like a sort of seasonal cyclical level. Like mm-hmm. this, this it feels like once a year around this time, there's a haunt. I've been yeah <laughs> that occurs in my brain uh, this time around specifically. And I shouted him out last week, but Jason Trier, there's been I think he fell into the game for the first time a few months ago. Um, and so there's been a big conversation about it again. Um, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice comes out very soon, so I think we're all doing like sort of just like a you know from software refresh. Yeah, a little How? a little like pre workout stretch or whatever it is. <laughs> I, I just like I just want to add I haven't played it since it came out, uh, so it's been a while, but. Uh, I just want to say, Max, that I so agree with you how it sits in your brain. I think I think the thing is with Bloodborne is that its world is so fully realized mm-hmm. that you feel like – you do feel like an intruder in it. Like you, you don't feel like – you know so many games you feel like are molded around you as a protagonist? Yep. I, in Bloodborne, it's not like that at all. You feel like you've just stumbled across this place that just that, that happens to exist. You're a hunter. Yeah. I mean, by by the nature of your profession or, or or ideology, whatever it is, you have invaded a place to murder the the the, the flora and fauna, and that, that is like the, that is very separate from being like save the world. It's like you're just kind of there. I'm and I'm sure the lore gets deeper than that, but you're kind of there to just like murder things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, what I love about it is it has this margin. It has like a a, a margin of success by accident. Like oh, there's, yeah. it's got the same sort of wiggle room for being a complete idiot at the game and still managing to like luck your way into things. You can flail through that game right. and finish it. Right. And mm-hmm. I say this Which is, to someone who finished well, it. Well, you give me hope and you make me believe in myself. Yes, you can um, do it. Uh, but no, I mean, it's, I, it's, it's the same thing that I loved about Hotline Miami, which is another incredibly like punishing, like punishingly difficult game, but mm-hmm. you can still sort of be like. I'm going to try that again. I want to. I want to get out there and do this thing again and see what happens. Yep. Uh, but in the case of like 
Bloodborne. It's, I also I looked it up. The when I started this game was uh, last year when it was on PlayStation Plus. Uh, right. It was right. Uh, there. That we was saw March, right? That was uh, J- January. Was we it did a, Jan- was we it that early? We did a thing on Up at Noon about using Bloodborne to kick my depression's ass. It is totally my seasonal depression game. <laughs> I've been getting up at like five forty-five every morning and sitting down with a cup of coffee and putting on my like seasonal depression mood light and then playing Bloodborne. Which, by the way, having like a light shining in your face while you're playing that game is part of the reason I'm so bad at it. I mm-hmm. think because. <laughs> phantasms will come and I can't see them because it's dark but I'm playing the game this time with some new parameters I've decided to like go in with like a different build and a different weapon because I finished the game three or four times now so I was like it's got to feel fresh it's got to feel new you've also got in with a totally different yeah so my newest thing and I think a lot of people should try this if you want to make Bloodborne really difficult is have a baby yeah (laughs) Uh, because Bloodborne doesn't let you pause and babies don't care about Bloodborne (laughs) and so it's called Blood Newborn yeah my daughter is fully crawling everywhere now and she's like crawling up on me she's basically standing up and i was on blood starved beast i had th- no joke this is like that classic bloodborne tale or any from software game where I, he had literally one shred of health left and it was mm-hmm. like one of those things and obviously that game is gambler's luck risk reward where you go i could back up and heal or i could be greedy and and I could strike one more time. And in that time, he, you know, bites your head off or spits acid down your neck. That's, uh, and that's when you scream. Yes. Like, I, I, like yes. I have not, like, it's like a guttural scream, <laughs> like, of just raw fury yep. and, yep. like, desperation when that happens. And you the, put the controller down yeah. and you walk away. And for sometimes you never come back. And other times you come back in a month or a year. This time I came back three or four more times, died three or four, four more times, and was like... I'm going to try this again another day. I'm not ready for this right now, but I, I will return, you know? And what I love about that game is that, like, I play it a little bit differently every time I go in there. Mm-hmm. I upgrade different stats. I try different routes. I, you know, sort of speed run or go through different directions to fight different bosses in different orders. There's so much there in lieu of, like, having vari- varying difficulties and all that. Um, very sort of basic video game tropey stuff. There are so many ways to play that game differently to keep it fresh every. I think that's what I what I mean by like the margin of of failure is like a game like I don't know Ghosts and Goblins is a, is a fine example or like mm. Castlevania is like that's a game about memorizing enemy patterns and knowing where things are and really just getting the timing down right. But I feel like it's too narrow and it's really almost a rhythm game. Yeah, like it's a it's and this is what I don't like about straight platformers. I like I like it when there's like a little bit of like sort of kind of back and forth. And Bloodborne has that just to an insane degree where I'm like, oh, there's like, and there'll be like an enemy that I've run past a million times. And for whatever reason, I step slightly towards him and then I am at half my health, yeah, which is infuriating. But you know, better luck next time, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I've been doing this thing where like, I'll get to, you know, I'll try to, I'll just kind of put my feelers out and try to explore a new area and gradually kind of pave way. And then every time I like unlock a new, you know, a new gate or a new ladder or an elevator or whatever, or find a lantern for fast travel, it's like this, Incredible sense of, of of reward and victory, which is the thing that I think keep a lot of people coming back to it. They're just they're all better at the game. Than it's also I, I love um, I love that we're playing through this at the same time because there's this very like third grade style lunchroom conversations happening between us where it feels like being a little kid again. Where you'll tell me about stuff you found, and I'll tell you about stuff I found, and it all sounds like lies. <laughs> Yeah. You know, but yeah. it's it's like, oh, did you know you can like if you go behind the farmer's shed, there's like a there's a gem that you can use to put into your whip and it makes you t- and you're like, wow, really but cool. I, I felt that way when I played it back in the day because, you know, we were all talking about yep. the secrets and, you know, someone was like, you just need to go out to this area and get this music box. And when you have the music box, then you can like, you know, defeat Father Gascoigne and all yep. this sort of stuff. And I loved I loved that sense of. Uh, but I just want to give a shout out while we're talking about Bloodborne um, to Gibbs Rain Rainock. Uh, he's an amazing artist. Uh, oh yeah, and yes. he does yeah. these incredible uh, Bloodborne Souls artworks. Um, look him up on Twitter. Uh, his uh, handle is at Crowsmack. Uh, I just want to give him a shot because my my old apartment in Sydney was just covered in Bloodborne art from him. Oh man, that's awesome! Like, um, he's so good. Yeah, I was like recently looking for cool Bloodborne Bloodborne merchandise, and it basically doesn't exist it doesn't. because it's hard to I, encapsulate <laughs> how great that game is. So in much a toy. much like playing Bloodborne, collecting Bloodborne is also difficult. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, we we figured this out. That there are there are statues. There's some yeah. really high end statues. I think they're, mm. I think they're from prime collectibles. I'm not sure about that, but they're like one quarter scale resin statues. So yep. if you want to buy them, you must uh, collect like 
$1,800, which is sort of like if, you know, you were to get good at real life. It's the Bloodborne <laughs> savings accounts. Yeah. And then there's the uh, the Figma, yeah. which is, which again, I just, I just bought a bootleg version of on eBay because the main, the real version goes for like 150 bucks, oh, wow. but the bootlegs apparently just good enough and they're $22 shipped. But, um... Just like something like Breath of the Wild, so much of that game is about the way you play it and inherently with dozens of different costumes to try on and different skill sets and weapons, um, your character is going to look very different than your action figure. It's not like buying like a you know Crash Bandicoot toy, which is pretty much Crash it's Bandicoot. It's going to be Crash. I'm, that was a weird thing they did with, I always thought, when they made Destiny toys yep. because mm-hmm. so much about it is you know, customize your character. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, yep. here are the three main destiny characters. Yeah. And I went looking at like shirts and stuff like that. Cause I was like, I'd love to have like a cool shirt to wear that has bloodborne, but all of them just say bloodborne. And it's hard to like take the art from that game and translate it. So I might just go on like Redbubble and just put something from the, from the art book on there. Bloodstarved yeah. beast concept art. Yeah. Just, just something like dog. that. Yeah. Uh, you both sort of mentioned a thing. So, uh, Brian, I think you said the bloodborne of or like the Dark Souls of. Like that is a very common phrase that we use now these days yep. to describe something being difficult. That we try we, not to. We try not to here, but everyone like in common Except for everyone talking about savings accounts. Except that, for- then that's like bloodborne. <laughs> I mean, like even Crash Bandicoot levels have now been like the bloodborne of Crash Bandicoot. Chase Bank is now calling themselves the bloodborne of banks. That'd be a better marketing mm-hmm. campaign than they probably Comcast, have. the bloodborne of cable. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, and Max, you had mentioned about like games needing to be inherently difficult to be good is like mm. a concept yeah and well, i want to talk a little bit more about that yeah i i don't know i think you know difficulty is obviously subjective but i think that there's this gamer mentality that like for a game to be difficult it needs to be like uh necessarily twitch reflexes you know whereas like i don't know what about like solving puzzles and stuff you yeah know? <laughs> like, like the witness not to it's yeah not, not to be such like a, a wuss about it but like not every game is good for everybody like i mean you see games that are not even like pass fail type games like creative stuff like you know minecraft or mario maker or whatever and people get incredibly good at that <clears throat> and then some people are like that's not a game yeah yeah uh, I, I think the negative side of well first of all like most video games are skill based right and so like that i think becomes a big part of it is overcoming the adversity of something that is difficult and pushes back to an extent. I think with the from software game specifically, uh, the get good thing yeah. is either like something that's funny and sort of this like, you know, like rally call for people to champion together and like, you know, bring each other up. And for other people, it's like gatekeeping bullshit. I, it's, well, I agree. It's weird though, because I feel like, the Soulsborne games are widely acknowledged to be objectively difficult, right? Yes. Uh, But I find that the community, that community is actually really welcoming. Like the whole jolly cooperation thing is a real uh, thing that that community believes in. And I, you know, I I think that there are other, I hate to use the word uh, like fanboys or fangirls that are much more gatekeepery. For sure, for yeah. sure. I, I think, too, also what that community is s- not so subtly trying to let you know is that overcoming adversity in a game like that and defeating a boss is one of the greatest feelings in the history of video games. <laughs> it really and is. It's like it's almost as good as sex. It really is. Yeah. Um, and they don't want – I think they don't I want – almost. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> They don't want to rob you of that. Yeah. And so I think that that's, that's that risk reward that we talked about. That's a big part of it is because it's difficult, uh, but not insurmountable mm-hmm. um, and somewhat achievable that if you do actually defeat the blood starved beast or whatever it is that you're fighting, um, the feeling is fucking awesome. Yeah. And there's so, really nothing like it. I feel the way I feel like fighting the boss, the bosses, I panic. I just get, I completely get frazzled and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. And, the only way I got past the Bloodstar Beast was was by summoning. Um, mm-hmm. I think I, they are specifically designed to make you shit yourself. Yeah, <laughs> like just, scream. They scream cool. at you. But no, I and get they spit blood, and the music comes up. Yeah, what? but I like I straight up panic, and I've always panicked, and it's one of those things that makes me suck at, at video games. And it's like to me, it's sort of like those are the bosses in Bloodborne are sort of the midterms, and it's almost like the day to day stuff is sort of what I find more rewarding. Uh, like opening a gate in that game is like where I get really pumped. Where I'm like, <laughs> it's that it's that sense of exploration versus like direct combat and challenge, which is interesting. Like I don't know, like expo- it's it's navigating something. It's it feels more akin to like learning a route, a route through a neighborhood than it does. Like the, obviously, I'm gonna go kick these monsters' asses. Like that's the point of it. But no, it's it's weird how most doors in video games are just like it just says locked, 
But in Bloodborne, it's like locked. And it just means you can get around to the other side and open it up, and then it this, just makes the rest of your game easier. This gate is closed by mm-hmm. a device. What do you mean a yeah, device? Something so obtuse. Well, like I mean, a narrative device? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I like I mean I think, you know, there's a time and place for games like like Bloodborne and Dark Souls. Like I think that I love that they exist. I love that they're hard. I don't I don't want to see From Software like simplify their games. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that 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 so many people play them because they're hard because there is that sense of reward when you defeat you know a boss, um, but as a blanket rule that all games should be difficult, like I I, I think that's that's insane because games are it's, they're apples and oranges like they're the the, the com- sort of video games now are so complex and so different. There are so many variables, you know. There are so many different kinds. Um, and like you know, Gone Home was a game that we all loved. I mean, I know that a lot of our community didn't necessarily feel feel the same way, but you know, that's not a game that needed to be difficult. Mm-mm. Like that is a game of. No, what just, they put like six locks on the attic. <laughs> yeah, like like you know, Florence, for example. That's another like you know, a brilliant iOS game, uh, sort of telling the story of a a relationship that that sort of dissolves and and it's heartbreaking and it's still a game but it's not difficult no yeah it's emotionally difficult it's emotionally harrowing for sure um but yeah i i think that you know video games should be difficult as a really like old-fashioned mentality Mm -hmm. i I mean what's what's weird about it is that it's the same mentality that comic books are less valid than regular books because they have less words yeah and it's like that's such an outmoded concept and it's weird because i feel like the sort of the respect for you know comics and graphic novels is totally that that's i mean obviously if if games want to be taken seriously as art they would probably try to buddy up with more contemporary mediums like Mm -hmm. that but i mean it's weird because i don't know there's some like in the in the case of bloodborne going back to this like i am playing this game like i read books that i really want to read but i'm having a hard time with where i'm chipping away at it slowly and it's taking me a while and occasionally i'll put it down and come back to it meanwhile there's other books that i just burn through and i'm like that was cool next yeah right you know? like sometimes you have page turners sometimes you have like uh, fucking ulysses you know mm-hmm. well and i think there's something to be said too for varying difficulty in terms of accessibility for the medium as a whole. Like yeah. if every game were Bloodborne or Dark Souls or Sekiro or Sekiro, it would not be a medium that millions and millions of more people would be playing. As Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Well, uh, we were talking the other day about like maybe there should be like a a two year limit on it. When a game <laughs> gets released after two years, it gets patched, if assuming the studio is still there, and it gets a bunch of quality of life options and you get the chance to to run through it. That said in this specific scenario, we would be robbing Max of the fear he gets every time he... <laughs> every morning yeah. every, every morning where he shits himself. My morning shitting hours, yeah. My, my morning <laughs> shitting hours. <laughs> my daily ablutions. Uh, no, uh, it's weird. I actually, I think I've talked about this, where I wanted to get into Alien Isolation, but again, having this goddamn Xenomorph like traipsing around I after mean, me. I mean, that is a stressful game. Right, yeah. and there are PC mods that make it so that that big stupid house cat leaves you the F alone, <laughs> And I was like, that's something I would I would enjoy. I'd like to explore these levels and really just appreciate that, you know. The, the world the, building. Yeah. And instead of that, we just got a video series on IGN of Alien Isolation basically adapted into a web series, like a right. machinima, which I have no interest in. Because mm-hmm. the thing I want is the interactive exploration. Like, I want to see this place. I want to go be able to, like, go be, like, poke around in it. I just don't want to have a thing killing me while I'm in a locker breathing. You don't want to feel like you're punished for that curiosity. Yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. That, that's like an odd thing. Like there's – I think interactivity is more important for a game than difficulty. And but I think it's it, easy to conflate the two. Is it fun to walk around a haunted house with the lights on? I, I mean know. in the you case know? of Alien, I, I think context if we contextualize it, in the case of Alien Isolation, I would like to explore that area – without the alien because the world building was so good like they put so much effort to make it exactly that era right like technology and everything like that and it's very true to Ridley Scott's original uh and that would be cool just to wander around I mean I don't think it would keep my interest for very long but it would be cool it'd be cool no I got all my teammates murdered in Battlefront 
all the time because I would be like Jabba's palace, and I'd walk around and I was like, oh, it's the it's the Tauntaun's head, and like they'd be like, oh, reloading flank left or whatever, and everyone's dying, and I'm like, Star Wars. Well, and difficulty means so many things differently now these days, where it's like a, a difficult game like Bloodborne, where it was intentionally built to be this way to be difficult for you to overcome that challenge, where right. something like. Uncharted, we were talking about before the show, is like that game, you can get through that game pretty easily, but it has these crushing levels of difficulty that are intended to just throw things at you. But that's not the way that experience is normally necessarily intended. And then like you were sort of alluding to, Brian, you have older experiences that are now difficult surely by age. Yeah. Yeah. But we are in a medium that can update these things and remake and remaster and do all that. Well, it's funny because... I don't know, like, I, the idea of playing an Uncharted game on, like, crushing difficulty does sounds completely unappealing to me. But yeah. it's also, it feels at odds with that game as a narrative experience. Right. Like, I, you know, while I'm, like, soaking in character development, I don't want to be dying over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> yeah, so, you want to watch one of the Indiana Jones movies, but every 20 minutes somebody's going to pop up and punch you in the face? Well, <laughs> maybe on your fifth time watching Indiana Jones. Yeah, I can see that. You know, to keep it fresh. I think if, like, that was the base... 40 experience. If crushing was the base difficulty of Uncharted 4, then yeah, bad game design. I don't think it works for that franchise at all. But um, as an option for people on their fourth or fifth playthrough yeah. who are, like, going for trophies and are just, like, they've mastered that game front to back and they want something new and original, Original, sure, go for it. But I think for something like Bloodborne, like if you walk, like if you took all the enemies out of that game and just walked through the streets, I think it would, I think it would defeat the purpose of, or I, like the sort of the thrill of what that game is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I, I, it, it, it makes me think that like if if you had the option right now to switch on the easiest difficulty, you would, and you'd fly through that game. I don't know if no, I you would. wouldn't really. I don't, I don't think know if you would. Yeah, no, that's the thing is I, the fact that I keep coming back to this like just screaming yeast infection of a game is like kind of a kind of a testament to like there's something special there and it is it is this weird like but it it also you know it's the way that the game is meant to be played uh and i yeah i like i played through resident evil 2 on just normal difficulty Mm -hmm. but there was one boss that really really got me like i i think i mentioned this in a couple of episodes ago where i just i started with no health like, I went into it with no health and no uh, ammunition, so I was, like, really on the back foot, and I just died over and over and over and over. And I was like, oh, I could just switch down the difficulty. You know, <laughs> I could and just get through it, and because it was, like, one of the end bosses and just see the end yep. of the game. Or I could keep going and play it as it was meant to be played. And I kept going, and it was, you know, I eventually got, I eventually got him down, and it was incredibly like relieving. Like I was sweating, my heart was hammering in my chest. It was an amazing. Was it better than sex? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was better than sex because I have terrible (laughs) sex. Um, (laughs) No, it was. uh, That's actually not true. (laughs) For anyone out there who's listening, you can just talk about. I don't know why I'm I'm digging this hole. Uh, (laughs) No, but you know, some games are are meant to be hard. They're meant to be challenging. They're meant to make you sweat and scream yep. and, and tear your hair up. And again, it comes back to that feeling of euphoria that you have afterwards. Um, and not every game is like that. I mean, I definitely don't want that from an Uncharted. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're getting a different experience out of that or something like a Gone Home or Florence. Like There mm-hmm. are different intentions going into each game. And yeah. yep. li- like Max had said earlier, I think like the interactivity and the refinement of that is far more important than necessarily sheer difficulty. Yeah. Yep. It's also like an accessibility mm-hmm. thing. I mean, obviously, if you want people to experience a thing, I think like so much of what makes the FromSoft game special is even beyond difficulty, it's that they are obtuse. Like they are about yeah. hidden secrets, whether that is navigation-wise, difficulty-wise, or just straight up the lore being dense as hell. There's this level of like you need to you need to kind of commune with people, whether it's calling a stranger in over the internet to help you fight a giant wet dog or talking to your friend at work being like, Hey, did you find that weird gem that gives your makes your whip stronger? Whatever. There's mm-hmm. this kind of like communal, like it's it's the, the whole game is sort of the puzzle. Um, but obviously, I don't think not every game should or could have that. And also, I, I I just want to touch on the word accessibility because we 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 think about accessibility from as able-bodied people. Yeah. Um, it's also important to think of accessibility for the huge disability community out there who play video games and mm-hmm. and you know uh, if every game was crushingly difficult. Uh, that's going to be a real bummer for yeah. them. So it's yeah. good that we have the options. So mm-hmm. funny thing, uh, I found this a while ago. The kind of creator of um, the Yakuza series, uh, Toshiro Nagoshi, has on his Wikipedia page uh, his design philosophy. There's this quote from him. 
It may sound strange, but I'm very bad at playing games. I used to spend a lot of money in arcades just to see the end game end game sequences, and I know how bad players can feel if the game is too hard too early. And so he's like expressed desire to make his games like you know not necessarily completely easy and if you've tried to com- like 100 percent of yakuza game you, you know that there's always like a couple little achievements that are incredibly difficult there but i think that there's it's nice to kind of recognize that the limitations of an arcade game are sort of like there, there's kind of difficulty in games is kind of a holdover from that mm-hmm. yeah. where it was designed to make you pump in quarters and mm-hmm. it's it's when you're trying to have a, an experience for a player, it doesn't necessarily need to be there. Yeah, people are not worrying uh, outside of microtransactions about yep. getting more money into you after you've bought the game at this point. Yeah. Like, you've bought in, you accept it. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that we've seen change over time. I did want to wrap that into, are any of you excited for or interested in uh, Sekiro Shadows Die twice uh, in terms of the like Bloodborne I am, difficulty? I am yeah. very into it. <laughs> I, like, I was saying to you guys earlier when we were talking about um, the run of show that I played it at Gamescom, and I was so bad. I was so bad at it. Like, I've played every Souls game, uh, and so I feel like I've got a handle on the formula. But no, like, the Sekiro is very different. Did they drop you into, like, a demo build where you were sort of already spec'd out in, like, a certain... No. You were, like... Was it like the very beginning of the I'm game? I'm pretty sure it was the very beginning from memory, but don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely like early. Uh, and I I was really bad because so much of that game is about countering, and countering is a difficult thing to to master. I mean, it was, it's a difficult thing to master in the Souls games, let alone having to just get it right off the bat. Uh, so I was, I was terrible. And it was interesting mm-hmm. because my colleague, uh, Tristan, from the Australian office, uh, he'd never touched a Souls game because he was like, oh, it's too difficult. Why would I do that to myself? And he breezed through that demo. Whoa, huh. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it's like if you're if you've got the the souls formula in your sort of muscle memory, maybe it's more of a challenge. I'm not I sure. Could, I could see that. I mean, I've yeah. heard people say that the toughest one is always your first. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like your favorite Mario Kart. But like, I don't know. I've looked it up. Like, what's the which is harder? Like Dark Souls or Bloodborne or whichever. You know, and or you know how to where to secure land on that. And I'm I don't know. People seem to they can't they can't agree because again, yeah. difficulty is totally subjective. Mm. Uh, I'm curious about it because obviously I want to get in on the ground floor with everybody else because yeah. we're talking about Bloodborne a game from 2015 <laughs> but uh, at the same time I'm like like a tougher sell on samurai stuff than I am on like arcane you know Victorian steampunk whatever yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's also I don't know like the, the parrying and like the, the rhythm of blocking in the right time is like that's something that I completely suck at Yep. yes but it was something I eventually mastered so I know that I can do it and it's if the, just hard. If the game is asking you to do that sort of from the jump, it's possible you may be better early on in it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Based on the new gameplay trailer that just released this week, which I kind of wish I hadn't seen. That's um, what I've heard. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of stuff in there that looks like it's going to sort of make me happy as a Bloodborne fan because there's a lot of sort of larger than life grotesque. Oh, there's a lot of that. Monst- yeah. Monstrous nonsense to kill <laughs> with your whip. Yeah. and hand thing yeah so I mean, that'll be a good time obviously when people are demoing these these kind of games too they're not really taking time to poke around and explore a whole lot yep. like they kind of give you a probably a more linear path mm-hmm. demo wise but like I, the, the the stuff in the margins is what i'm interested in so. yeah. i really dug neo um and i oh that neo <laughs> um and it's uh it's that's sort of like a precursor to something like Sekiro, but it's um that i, I don't want to say that felt more grounded in reality but a lot of the people you fight in that game are like basic sort of samurai soldier types Mm -hmm. and not as many, uh, some of the bosses get into the sort of big grotesque, you know, weird horror stuff. But um, this looks a little more over the top and I'm excited for that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious to see that art style come to life in this game. I've personally never been able to get past most of the initial areas of any from software game. So I'm excited to try that again and probably fail this time. I think your from software game is like the story of kingdom hearts. Yeah. (laughs) Like being able to navigate that correctly and understand it and parse what is or isn't fact and it's fine uh, if other people don't get it yeah i know it that's that's hard that's hard mode uh moving on wanted to try another new segment on the show we're calling memory card uh where we're gonna run down an older memory for one of us here uh related to playstation it could be anything about a specific game a piece of hardware a specific time in our life and brian i thought you could kick that off with for us you have a story you mentioned sure we start the show uh unfortunately we don't have a 1930s newsboy <laughs> we'll, we'll get it yeah i don't we'll have a thing just yet. extra we'll... extra memory card. <laughs> um, <laughs> i don't think they said that no we were talking yeah, 
I'm a time traveler. We uh we talked about how PlayStation has been yikes on that one. Am I right? That's ladies right. And gentlemen? I love the slight delay of, yeah. that, of that sound effect. That car almost hit oh, me. Oh yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we have a car in this new studio. We can tell you anything because it's audio. Only. It doesn't matter. Um, no, I, I. We're on the street with the car. That's <laughs> it's going really well. The memory car. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to memory. Um, yeah. We uh, we all love PlayStation here. If you're listening to the show, you love PlayStation. And because of that, you probably have or maybe haven't realized that um, PlayStation has been responsible for sort of a through line in a lot of the our best memories in our lives. Um, and I was thinking about uh, this is my this year is my 10 year anniversary. Uh, next month is my 10 year anniversary at IGN. And so 10 years ago, I moved to San Francisco for the first time. I left my family, which is a big Italian guy from the East Coast with a big Italian family. That's was very hard to do. Uh, all my friends, everyone I knew. And I moved to California. I mailed all my consoles, which was my PS3 and my Xbox 360 and my, I believe my Wii at the time. Um, in, in a cardboard box, and uh, that was a very risky move, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And all my clothes in another cardboard box, and then uh, my, I think, like the fourth or fifth cardboard box just had socks and a coffee pot. Stupid move. Coffee pot exploded, got glass all over the socks, and I had to throw out all my socks. I didn't know what I was doing. I never like moved across the worst jigsaw trap I've ever. Heard. It was so dumb, and so uh, everything took a few days to arrive, and some some things took like two or three weeks. So my consoles didn't arrive right away. So I was in a big empty apartment. Uh, I felt very lonely. I didn't really know anyone in the city, opposite side of the country from everyone I knew. And my boss at the time, Will Tuttle, uh, said, "Hey, do you have like any any?" video games to play at home and i was like no like my roommate and i just got like a 42 inch tv but we like our, the cable guy is not here yet so we have nothing to do and he was like why don't you just we have an extra like office ps3 take it home and i took it home and i like logged into it and you know pulled up my stuff and it was sort of just like this weird familiar sound <laughs> yeah of, you know i used to work at a coffee shop and they would mm-hmm. do that with cinnamon rolls yeah <laughs> Exactly. And you have a flash. You're like, do you have any cinnamon rolls at home? You just take some home. <laughs> and so uh, I went from being like very lonely and very f- distant from everything I loved to reconnecting with something that had been there for me for a very long time and something that had got me there. And that was PlayStation. And I played a bunch of PS3 games. And uh, they also gave us, I think they gave us like the, the NHL hockey game that came out that year, <laughs> which I hadn't played any of those games in a long time. So it was weird. Um, but it just made me realize how important something simple and stupid that it can be like how video game comfort food can be there for you. Just like Bloodborne can be there for you when you're seasonally depressed or like uh, a, the chimes and stupid alien sounds of a console <laughs> booting up on the opposite side of the country from where you grew up can make you feel at home. Um, and so, yeah, that's my little PlayStation memory. Do you remember what you were playing? Yeah, Besides I just said. Any, any NHL. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think what else. I guess the last guy. The last guy. Yeah, I was like, what? This was like 2009? Yeah. I was yeah. like, what the f- that? Yeah. Th- Uncharted Those, those were called minis then. Probably a God of War game. Yeah. Yeah. God of War 3 that maybe. That checks out. Yeah. I had I had dreams of From Software games and, and The one Last day. of Us and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember like Heavy Rain was one of the first big games that I was around for that uh, I was at IGN and everybody was talking about at the same time. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to sort of step into that era and be like, here we are. Thank you. That's awesome. And eventually yeah. my clothes showed up. And Finally, my PS3. And you got new socks. And now, like a rich man, <laughs> I have two PlayStation 3s. <laughs> no, I brought the other one back to <laughs> Did you get a new coffee pot? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> what if I just duct taped it? <laughs> I just drank duct tape coffee for a couple years. That's why I am the way I am. <laughs> uh, well, Brian, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Thank if you. If you listening at home have a memory you'd like to share with us on Memory Card, you can write into beyond at IGN.com, put Memory Card in the subject line so we know what it's about, and we will maybe read it on the show in mm-hmm. a future episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on, we'll end the show with Rapid Fire. Uh, questions from this segment come from the Facebook group for Beyond. That's facebook.com slash groups slash podcast beyond. You can either put in questions there. I drop a 
topic sort of thing in each week, or you can write into beyond at IGN.com, put rapid fire in the subject line, and we'll know whether to ask them here. Uh, we're going to start off with Josiah Byler. He asked, what do you think the likelihood of Xbox Game Pass being brought to PlayStation like it's being rumored to come to Nintendo Switches? Not going to happen. I, yeah, I, I just want, we haven't talked about the like weird Nintendo Switch Xbox thing too much here, mm-hmm. but I did want to bring that up in this case. There's no chance these two no companies chance. would work like that. I think there's two. I think the thing is with Switch and Xbox is that they are they have. There's a couple of things connecting them already. Um, notably, the that you know they Rare is a developer that they have both worked with exclusively for years. Um, they're also Microsoft owns Minecraft, and Minecraft came to Wii U and Switch with a massive Nintendo exclusive connection there, an entire Mario world basically. Um, there's like a weird history of, of idle animations of like characters like Banjo Kazooie, like pulling out a, a DS or a Game Boy. Um, there also isn't a ton of crossover in terms of uh, AAA third party games because of the way the Switch is spec'd out. And so I think there's room for one to work with the other. On PlayStation and Xbox, nothing like that. Yeah. They're way too close. They get they I think they would rather fight for scraps over like little exclusive DLCs and, and drops until the day they're dead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Then yes. work with each other in any collaborative capacity. I think it's more likely we start seeing something like a PlayStation Plus like library. That yeah. would be the equivalent of games or of uh, Game Pass. A Game Pass, yeah. Where you're just like you sign up for this and you get access to these things, which is honestly considering how long PlayStation Plus has been around. Uh, and it's not really an issue if you've had it for a while, like I imagine we have. But if you're just jumping on, it's like, and you're like, what's my first month going to be? Oh, it's a game I already played yeah. and two games I don't want to play. Yeah. And it's kind of like, what are your other options there? And yeah. it's PlayStation Now, I guess. I've said this before, but everyone should be actively trying to steal Game Pass at this point. Yeah. Or the entire concept of it. Um, it's one of the smartest ideas. Yeah. The fact that like a yeah. game like Crackdown goes from being like, oh, I'll skip it to... A, I'll I'll play it. It's a no brainer because it's just there. Yeah. Um, or something like Just Cause Four, which launched in early December and just quietly released on Game Pass this week. That's a game we wouldn't see on PlayStation Plus for probably six months to a year after its release at best, if ever. Um, and so, yeah, I think obviously that's lucrative, and I hope Sony steals it. It's also really smart when games are either a service or a huge franchise, where if they're trying to build a community. Yep. You know, do that crack dealer approach and have that first taste for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. We've seen this with. Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen anymore with Disney Plus, but Disney dropping uh, their movies on Netflix like six months after they were for sale. Yeah. And it's weird because there's this kind of trickle down effect where it's like you want to go see it in theaters. That's twelve bucks a person. Okay, you want to watch it at home? Well, uh, you can't rent it yet. It's fourteen dollars to buy it, and then it's all of a sudden it's three dollars to buy it. Then all of a sudden, if you have Netflix, it's free. And then all of a sudden you want to find out what happens in Endgame because you watched Infinity War while you were hungover over Christmas break yeah. or whatever. You know, I don't know who's late to the party on MCU right now, but like <laughs> if you're if you're part of this, you know, if you're building these kind of ongoing these brands, you know, maybe you buy a t-shirt, maybe you buy you buy merch, you pay attention to the next thing that they do. Um well, is that so, is that confirmed by the way? What? The crack dealer free hit for the first user <laughs> thing? I don't know. I've never done crack. Yeah. I think after Bloodborne, I might try it. Yeah. See how it apparently goes. it's free. The first <laughs> um, but no, it's I mean, the there's that. Choice, code, you know. It comes with a shirt, too. But no, I mean, uh, beyond this week is sponsored by crack. <laughs> Go to crack.com slash beyond. That's what happened and in the video the version. Scoville. <laughs> um, but no, like, I, I mean, with, with games, they just had For Honor up there. And you look at For Honor, there's like a ton of, you know, cosmetic microtransactions and stuff like that. And it's it's kind of an interesting way of breathing some life into a game that did have uh, a price of admission that mm. was like a boxed game that you paid 60 bucks for or whatever when it came out that isn't quite turning it free to play but it's like free to play this month yeah yep. yeah so i don't know yeah yeah i i think it would be such a smart thing especially as we're going to a new generation say obviously a game like horizon zero dawn sold 10 million copies like it sold well but say that was available on a playstation game pass and everyone who bought a ps5 could play that Right before the next Horizon comes out, mm-hmm. yeah. it'd be such a smart but marketing move. The Frozen Wilds is still twenty bucks. Yes, yeah, you still. Have I mean, to buy I'm probably going to buy yeah. the Bloodborne DLC in yeah. uh, three years when I finish that game. It's but, always you know, on sale, yeah. so you'll be able to find yeah. it. Uh, moving on, Yair Donan asks if you could go all Men in Black, I assume Men in Black, and re-experience a game for the first time, what game would it be? For me, it's Mass Effect Two. That was Yair. Oh, man, probably The Last of Us to think yeah. about stuff in recent memory because that's a game I've tried to replay a bunch of times and I just can't because I feel like the story hit me so hard the first time that trying to re-experience that is just sort of chasing ghosts. I'll never um, live up to it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel for me probably the first Silent Hill uh, mm-hmm. was 
it it had an extremely profound effect on me. And I don't know whether it was the, the, the age I was or... But I was just really shaken by that game because uh, I hadn't seen anything like it. I'd come from Resident Evil, from that sort of vibe, you know, like shooting monsters in the head. Yep. I mean, I know you do that in Silent Hill as well, but it's just very different. It's very unnerving. Uh, there are scenes that are just that are, uh, just stuck in my memory. And I, I, like, I cried in Silent Hill, which is <laughs> like, I know that's weird, but there's a certain scene. Um, anyway, and yeah, I, I, I guess for me it would be that. That was the first thing that popped into my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five, hands down. I think about that game probably every day. Um, I think I've talked about how special that freaking game is. I want to write a book about it or something. Yeah. And I know a lot of people didn't finish it. Neither did Kojima. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, it would be a little bit of a cheat, but I'd like to erase the entire Kingdom Hearts franchise from memory just to see what it would be like to play that first game. That's like game wishing for, for a thousand wishes. That's yeah, cheating. That's I know, but it's just like the idea of coming to that franchise completely new right now. Right. As a still a lifelong Disney that, fan. But that's, so, it's, it's difficult because it's like a time and a place. Like That's the thing. If I played Silent Hill now, I'd be like... This sucks <laughs> because yeah. it's so old yeah. and janky. Um, but you know, I'd love to sort of be that age at that time in my life. That. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I mean that's that's the tricky one. Is is are you are we playing these games for the first time? First time? Or are you playing them for the first time in 2019? Say whenever you play them. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Is in that, that case, I'd actually do Wind Waker. Uh, that, mm-hmm. That's like yeah. one of my favorite games of all time. And like, yes, it's great that they updated the sale on the HD version in Wii U. But like, I still, as a kid, spent an entire summer just sailing around that sea, yep. just mm. trying to find every little nook and cranny of those islands. I um I jumped back into Metal Gear Solid 2 just for the hell of it, which is one of my favorite games ever, which is not one of my favorite games to play in 2019 because mm. I completely forgot that the controls for that are completely doing their own thing where you have to, you can't walk and, and shoot gum or shoot guns. You have to stop and go into first person to aim, which is just completely jarring i was also pl- the only way to play it current gen is with uh the 360 hd collection played on an xbox one backwards compatible right i can't oh, believe wow. that's not on fucking playstation that's yeah, infuriating. yeah it makes me so mad and also i feel like just i feel so dirty playing that game with that controller yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that's a, yeah it's crazy that collection hasn't come to ps4 uh to wrap things up Sean Nazareth asks, are discless consoles a commodity we will have to learn to live with or do hard copy discs have still enough relevancy to stand the test of time? Uh, and obviously we've had those rumors of a new Xbox coming out this year, possibly that's discless. We've always seen that as like streaming is the future, all that. Do we think that will happen anytime soon? I think it's like inevitable at some point. It's inevitable, but I don't think it's going to be in the next few years. Yeah. That's my, that's my thinking. Too many people still don't have that kind of internet in the world. Yep. Yeah. That I, that's obviously a big. The biggest barrier is that um, I think that people are more and more willing to go all digital every single day. I think that's happening every single day. Uh, I think that we are probably ten to fifteen years away from disc-based games being uh, a boutiquey thing. I think it's like if you look at something like limited run games right now, which is specifically making physical versions of small indies that will never get physical versions otherwise. I think that that will be programs like that will be by and large the way people get like LPs, like records. Yeah. And so the difference with records is that they are that is one format across one medium that has existed. You can buy a record from 70 years ago and it'll work on a modern record player. You know, Um, it might shatter when you pick it up, but it'll work. Whereas video games change mediums every two or three years. Mm-hmm. Like I can't play mm-hmm. my Wii games on my Switch or, or you know my PS3 games on my on my PS4, whatever it is. And like we were talking about at the top of the show, yep. if the game got a patch or something and you're not connected. Then yeah. Mm. yeah. And so I think, and this sucks to say this, but I think that people are going to have to relinquish the concept of ownership with video games and start to treat them like rentable experiences, like we treat movies and meals and the laundromat and other things. Like, I think it's like, it's going to become this moving target. Uh, it's already gotten to the point with games like Resident Evil 4 on iPhone where it just stopped working one day on my phone and it will never work again. They'll never update it. Mm. There's nothing I can do about that besides buy a phone from six OSs ago. Mm. Um, and so that sucks because people want to have a thing on their shelves, but I think eventually, especially with disc rot and with games needing updates, that that's going to disappear. Luckily with internet, that's, you have a while, so keep buying up those discs. But that is where we are heading. Yeah, it's interesting. I think we'll don't get shoot there. the messenger. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Like you said originally, Lucy, I think it will be a the biggest barrier will be just the proliferation of accessible good internet throughout mm-hmm. the world uh, will be one of the biggest changes. Yeah. One last thing I'll add to that. 
the overwhelming majority of games released nowadays are digital only. Yeah. They do not get physical versions at all. If you look at the PlayStation Drop, you look at the store there, 90% of those games will never see a disc release. Yeah. They are just digital games. And so that's... I think the, the the tables have turned on that. Yeah, so. I, I think we'll see the like small boutique things and also the biggest of the big probably yep. for the longest, like the first party games and stuff like that. Thank you all so much for joining me for Beyond Episode 582 in this new audio-only era. Uh, when we're not recording the show, Max, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Max Scoville, or Instagram, which is also Max Scoville. I've been putting up pictures of my toy collection and my Ooh. hobbies and my dog. You're very good at making amazing models. I Thank don't know you. how you do that. Thank you. I do not have a steady hand to do that. Yeah, but it's just a, lot, a lot of practice building my robots. Uh, Brian, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at Agent Bizzle. I'm also on Nintendo Voice Chat every single week. I was on this week's episode of Podcast Unlocked. And uh, Max and I are working on a new IGN Cho thing. Are we allowed to say what it's called? No, I don't think so. No, yet. we can't talk about it yet. But One it's, day. You'll it's love it. If you like great. It's going to be fun. It's familiar. I'm excited. Yeah. And Lucy, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Luce O'Brien. That's L-U-C-E-O-B-R-I-E-N. And I am at J.M. Dornbush on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, remember, Beyond is live every week at when, on Wednesdays, uh, 3 p.m. Pacific currently. We'll see if that time changes. We'll let you know, obviously, in advance. Uh, if you have questions or comments or anything about the show, be sure to write into beyond at IGN.com, and we'll be able to read those and possibly read them on the show itself. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. And as always, Beyond. 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 There it is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.